Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Augusta, and I'm your host of No Sex in the Suburbs, a podcast about marriage, sex, and momming so hard. Today, we're going to talk about how to be a good friend to an autism mom and why that matters. I'll be joined by Wendy Garofalo. She is an amazing autism mom and advocate. When her son was diagnosed, she started a company called I Am Love, which makes adorable trucker hats and great jewelry, and all the proceeds go to raising awareness about autism. I'll let her tell the story behind the company name. Um, It's a great story, and I think it's really important. Did you know that the latest stats are one out of 60 kids is diagnosed on the spectrum these days? That means that if you know 60 kids, then chances are that you know someone who is autistic and you probably know their mom too. So maybe they're in a mainstream school classroom with your kids, or maybe they're at the park, or maybe they're on your swim team, or maybe you see them at the supermarket. If you want to raise your kids in an inclusive and loving society, then it's on us as the adults to educate ourselves and to get some awareness on autism. I'd like to start with just a little definition of autism. This is not a special needs podcast. This is a podcast about being a suburban mom. And there's just not that much awareness of what autism is out there. If you're not in the world, you're not in the world. And hey, I don't blame you. I mean, I literally knew nothing about autism, except I vaguely knew that a friend of a friend's kid was diagnosed on the spectrum. Literally, that was all I knew about it. So That's totally cool. I get it. So before we jump in, just a quick definition of what autism is. Autism is a disorder. It's not a disease. It's not something that you cure. And it's characterized by two main core qualities. One is a delay in speech um, and communication. And one is a delay in social behaviors. So, you know, typical kids, they just kind of learn social behaviors through osmosis. You don't have to break it down into little pieces. You just throw a bunch of kids together and they all play and everything just kind of works out. Well, for autistic kids, it's not like that. They need some extra special help. Now, you may have also heard autistic kids come with a variety of sensory issues. They might hear a vacuum and it actually like hurts their ears. They might be super averse to eating mushy foods or eating crunchy foods. They might be very picky eaters. They might um, be fairly uncoordinated. Maybe they aren't, you know, good at catching a ball or kicking a ball or whatever. Um, So there's all those things kind of come to, but the core basis of the diagnosis is a delay in speech and a delay in communication. Oh, and another thing, actually, I just, I know that I do have, this is a neurotypical show, but I know that I do have a fair amount of special needs moms listening. I'm only just learning that actually you're not supposed to refer to an autistic person as a person who has autism, kind of like you wouldn't refer to a lesbian as a person who has lesbianism. They just are a lesbian. An autistic person just is autistic. So I apologize in advance if I'm not like addressing this properly. I mean, I'm just learning this as I go too. But I think I'd like to use my podcast as a way to spread awareness and acceptance about the autistic community. And so I hope this is uh, what this episode will do. 
So I've recently been reading a book called Neurotribes. I highly recommend it, although it is very sad because it talks about the legacy of autism and how these kids were just institutionalized and brutalized and marginalized and actually World War II and like the Crystal Knock comes into it and the scientists were in Vienna and the Nazis were invading and it was just not a good time. I feel very grateful that society has opened up to the extent that it has, but there's still so much work to do. So I hope that by having Wendy on the show, you can hear behind the scenes about what it's like to go through the diagnosis period and to raise a kid who is very different. Another thing that that book Neurotribes talks about, they quote Temple Grandin, who is a very famous autistic woman who went to college and um, there's actually a movie about her starring Claire Danes. So I haven't seen it, but I am definitely going to check it out. She calls autism a handicap. So it's not a disease. It's not something that you're supposed to cure. It's just a disorder. Your brain is different or a different order. I mean, there are so many strengths for kids that have autism, which I am only discovering with my son as we grow. He's five years old. I think that the more you know, the more you accept. And these kids are really gems. And it's not that there's something wrong with them. It's that we as a society need to understand them and learn how to work with them and encourage them to grow just like all children. All children need love and acceptance to grow, and especially these kids. So we're going to hear Wendy's story. We're going to hear her advice on if you're a neurotypical parent, how you can be a good friend to an autism mom, and I hope you like it. As always, please leave me a review on Apple. Reach out to me. I'm on Instagram at no sex in the suburbs, and my website is nosexinthesuburbspodcast.com. Thanks so much, and enjoy the show. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to No Sex in the Suburbs. Hi, Haley. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm so excited to have you. So I was just doing your intro and I was saying how you are just a force for good in the autism community. And um, you've got two little kids. One is a girl who's neurotypical and your oldest is Luca and he has autism. So today we're going to talk about being a good friend to an autism mom and kind of the behind the scenes of what it's like to raise one of these extraordinary little kids. So what I would like to start with is when you were going through the process of discovery and diagnosis, what was that like for you and how did your friends react and what was what was that like? Uh, so Luca was almost four when we started going through the discovery and we had just moved. So I honestly did not have a whole lot of friends. I had a few. I had some from far away that were really supportive, but I, uh, I mostly just turned to myself and uh, kind of shut off the world. I had my sister and my, my parents who were really supportive and helpful because at that time I didn't you know, trust anybody with my kids. Um, so I, I sort of just kind of shut everybody off. I shut the world off for a little while so I feel like I needed to to figure things out. And it wasn't until probably two and a half years in, I would say, to his diagnosis that I finally started to get friends again. And uh, but I was I was much more picky with, and not picky, but just more. I, I didn't want to. I didn't have the mental capacity to deal with just surface 
friendships. Like I wanted people who who got it and who really could understand what I was going through. Wow. Okay. So it took you two and a half years. So in that time you were basically isolating yourself and just trying to figure it out because you're such a vocal outspoken person about autism and the benefits that autistic people bring to society. And I didn't realize that you had this like kind of quiet period for two and a half years. And then like, so what were you going through in that time? Yeah. Well, it's, and it's interesting because it, in terms of friendship, I was I I was secluded. I just I I shut myself off to do the research. Like I needed to know everything there was to know. I needed to um, to figure it out. I attended conferences. I I studied. I and and I also we also started a company, which I think is why it looks like on the outside I was very vocal and out there um, because I had done so much research and because we started to shift the way that we saw autism and the way that the people around us saw autism. And it just took that amount of time for people to then be comfortable enough around us uh, to, to open up and to, to let them in because um, I don't know. I just didn't, I just, my whole focus, my whole world was, was Luca. What do I need to do for him to make sure that he's going to have an amazing life? Like, how can I make that happen? And so my my concerns and, and having friends and things like that just sort of got pushed to the, to the back burner. It didn't seem important at the time. Got it. Um, I mean, for me, yeah. when I was going through the discovery phase, I just felt like my friends didn't know how to react to it. And so yeah. they would just kind of ignore it ignore the subject and I was like dude I just you know quit my career and dropped my life as I knew it to go into this world and you're gonna act like it doesn't exist like are you kidding um so it's interesting to me that you retreated into the world but I wanted people to be asking me about it and I wanted someone to talk to and things like that but let's talk about how you did all these all this research and you attended conferences and you started this company because your awareness of autism kind of shifted. So what what do you want neurotypical parents to know about autism and how how do you see it? I I see it as a gift. I see it as um, these kids see the world differently. Um, and so our whole company is based on on the acceptance and the love of that because it makes you know the world so much more interesting so I don't know if you if you told them the story but I'll tell it really quickly when Luca was four shortly after his diagnosis when we were doing all these therapies he was obsessed with letters he used to write with his chalk in the backyard for about eight hours a day just letters and words he taught himself how to read at that point um but he'd get really frustrated with words when they were written on a glass window or a glass door because when we'd walk inside that building, that place, the words would be completely reversed. And his little brain just could not understand that. And we'd walk in and out of the building and I'd say, hey, buddy, it's meant for you to read when you're standing right here. But once you go inside, it's not meant for you to read anymore. It's meant for the people out there to read. And so shortly after that, about a month of explaining that over and over again, he went in our backyard with his chalk and he went to our garden boxes, which we had just planted some vegetables. And he wrote the word love on the garden boxes, but he wrote it 
backwards, completely in reverse, which I thought, you know, kids do that when they're first learning to write. No big deal. I came out with a rag to wipe it off and, and to help him write it the right way. So I said, hey, buddy, come here. I'm going to help you. Let's erase this, and I want you to write it from left to right like we've been practicing. And he stopped me, and he said, no, 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 Mama. I wrote it that way so the plants could read it from the inside. And for me, in that moment, I didn't realize it at the time, you know, but everything shift, shifted. I, I walked in the house, and I was like, he just sees the world differently. There is nothing wrong with my kid, and I'm all I'm trying to do right now is, is fix him and change him and make him neurotypical. Why? And I couldn't, I, I just I just started to shift everything. We, we canceled therapy. We, we started about it in a different, unique way. And I started then putting that out there. It took a little while, but we started putting that out there. And when we did, and when we were really honest and open about the way we saw autism and that we weren't afraid to talk about it because it was such a hush-hush word. And if you had that diagnosis, like you didn't tell anybody about it. And we were like, it's, this is awesome. You know, he's, he's got such an incredible brain. And yeah, it's hard, but, but I love the way that he sees the world. And I love the way that he teaches me things. And so people started to open up to us. And, and our neighbors, I think, is where it first started. They started to... I started reaching out to them just to say, hey, just so you know, you know, this is what we're going through. Um, if you have any questions about it, please let us know because their kids would come over and, and they, I love kids because they're just, you know, so blunt and they, they were like, does he have some sort of disease or something? Aww. So, so, you know, we were able to explain to the parents so that the parents could explain to the kids. And I think I remember coming home, um, I had gone out one day to teach, and uh, some of the kids from Colby's back had a little lemonade stand out on the corner, and I thought, oh, that's so cute. And at that time, we had been doing a lot of fundraising to, to raise money and awareness for kids with autism. And when I came home and I walked up to the front door, there was an envelope that said, you know, please donate this to, to help kids with autism. And it was these kids, and they had done the lemonade stand. And I don't know if their parents made them do this, but I just, they had given me like $11 or something. It was so amazing the oh way God. that. That is so sweet. <laughs> that is so it, sweet. I'm like kind of in tears. And I'm so glad you told the story about your company and Luca writing the I love or I love you or I am love or whatever backwards for the plants yeah. benefit. It does really highlight the extraordinary brains that these kids have. And I'm, I, I just, I love that you like, got all these kids to know about autism and to be active in their own community and do a lemonade stand. That's incredible, Wendy. Yeah. They, it, it's just been, I, and that's when it started to turn around where I, I did start to let people in because, you know, it wasn't something I was afraid of or embarrassed about or shy of. And it's something that I knew completely the ins and outs of and could answer people's questions. And I was like, we're an open book now. What, what do you got? So Throw it at me and I have a question about that. Yeah. Okay. So my question mm -hmm. is, I go through this with Charlie. Um, let's say that he tries to interact with a kid. So he's behind socially and maybe the kid has a scooter. I mean, this is a real story. This broke my heart. 
this kid had a micro scooter, whatever. It's the same as Charlie's, except his was blue and this kid was green. And he went straight for the scooter and didn't look at the kid and went straight. Oh my gosh, you have the same scooter. We have the same scooter. And, and this kid can't read. So he says, no, you have a green scooter, I have a blue. And it was just a heartbreaking interaction where my son was trying to play with this kid, but trying in a really different, uh, unexpected way. And at that point, I'm like, do I tell this like six-year-old that something's up? Do I tell, I mean, I ended up telling his mom, but like, it, it's a hard balance of how much does your kid is, understands about what's going on with him? And then how much do you tell the other kids? And what do you tell the parents? And so like, what do you tell the parents? And what do you tell the kids? Like, I need examples. Okay. Um, well, we chose from very early on, I think about kindergarten, because I knew that Luca was overhearing certain conversations. And so I told Luca from the get-go what autism is. And I told him, you know, he was in kindergarten, so very young. But I said, hey, mommy and daddy are going to talk about this word a lot, and I want you to be comfortable with it and to know what it means. And I just told him that every time he hears us say it, that all it means is awesome brain, that you have an awesome brain. Love it. And that things, you know, might be different for you. And, and it's great to have a neurotypical sibling because uh, he gets to sort of see some of the differences and she does as well. Um, but we've told her as well. Like, <laughs> I think we, we touted it so much to the point where she really wanted to have autism, <laughs> which, was, which was a fun Wow. How old, um, how old is she and what is her level of understanding? Because my neurotypical one is three. And I will say, yeah. like, you got to stop manipulating your brother. I mean, he's just a normal tip, neurotypical three-year-old can be a brat. Like, you got to stop because he doesn't, my oldest yeah. doesn't have those defenses and he does not get it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I will say my daughter has been the best therapy ever. She's the same way. She She doesn't let him get by like she doesn't let him use that as an excuse like she's like no no look at me look at me I'm talking to you and they just they have this really unique relationship she's seven but she could be 15 she could be a 15 year old trapped in seven year old body um she's very very social she stands up for him all the time if people are being mean she's but she doesn't let him treat her the way he gets he kind of gets freedom to treat other people she she puts a stop to it and she's like I want him to play with me in this way right now um so we have a lot of we we have a lot of conversations I think that's the best thing to do and and sometimes we're lucky in that Luca is very vocal um but even the kids who aren't vocal they still get it they understand in their own unique ways they do and so to be completely and totally honest and we've we're we it's best to just emulate like that when we sit for dinner we have conversations about like hey okay pop quiz if I'm playing on the playground and I you know I want to play with somebody's toy what do I do do I take it from them you know it's it, it it's evolved beyond that now, but we, we play these pop quizzes where they think it's funny and it's kind of a game and, and to the point now where Luca will joke and be like, yeah, you take the toy away. And then he'll laugh because he knows that that's not what he's supposed to do. So uh, when we've had instances, like you mentioned, like at the park where he just he, is not expected behavior, um, I wouldn't talk to a kid about it, especially at that age. They don't get it but but there is a way you can get down onto all their level and be like hey sometimes playing at the park is 
kind of tough. <laughs> everybody wants the same toys or everybody loves your scooter and it's super cool. We're just super, really excited to see, you know, somebody else with a scooter like ours. You have to give, I have to give Luca the script a lot of the time. Cause mm-hmm. He'll just go and do his thing and I have to get down with him and be like, hey, you know, the best thing to do right now, we got to explain what we want to do first. We can't just jump right into it because then other people get confused and they don't want to play with us. So totally. what's step one? That's... He loves giving people the steps. He's like, okay, step one. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, now, it's, now it's, it's logical and it's mathematical and it, it's clear and clean cut. And so he loves giving people steps. That's easier for him than, than running out and saying, hey, do you want to play this? He'll go, can I show you this? This is how it works. Step one, you do this. Like, uh, I love that's it. That worked for him. We have yeah. a lot of we have a lot of steps. We have a lot of steps in the house. <laughs> we have yeah. all sorts of steps, yeah. and it does work. And like we talk about starting a conversation at the beginning instead of like in the middle, you know, because you're like yeah. you got it. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So and, and and again, that's where my my neurotypical daughter comes into play. Because she'll be like, I am so confused. I have no idea what you're saying right now. And so you have to back up and and. Um, She's great. So I think as much interaction as they can have, and none of it is bad. Even if on the outset it looks bad, none of it is bad because it's all an opportunity for them to to learn and, and engage and figure it out. So to that note, if you are a parent of a neurotypical kid or a couple of kids and you want to be involved, what is a good way to be a good friend and a good neuro I mean I was on a podcast the other week and I was saying you know if you want to be a good friend engage have your neurotypical kids engage like have them act like your daughter and have them play with your kid don't kind of leave them alone what do you say what do you what do you do to like encourage that I would I would suggest to them first and foremost that they educate themselves and their kids. So there's so many resources out there now. Sesame Street has that awesome character, Julia, um, you know, who shows what it might be like to play with a friend with autism. Those, those books out there, like children's books, I would say, you know, and I would say to them, I, if you want to help me, let's, let's let our kids play together. And, and, and maybe you, you do an initial one just to see how it goes, but if things don't go Great, then, and some education I think is great. We started educating all the kids in Luca's kindergarten class about autism, not to say, hey, everybody, look at Luca, he has autism, just to educate them on what that word was. We had sensory tables, we made it fun, we read a story. So how, that they how were did, all how did you do that with the term? Sorry to jump in, but how did you do that? You yeah. went to the teacher and said, "Look, my kid has autism. I want to do sensory tables." Or and what were, well, I need the names of these books too because I'm going to include them yeah. in the show notes. I had no idea Sesame Street had a character that dealt with uh, autism. Oh my god! Oh my god! When they first introduced her, I I bawled my eyes out. I, it, it's the best thing ever. She she jumps around and she skips and she doesn't talk much, but they they figure out a way to play with her. It's wow. so great. Um, so I went, well, the teacher obviously knows because Luca is on an IEP. So I think it was at our IEP meeting and I said, I really want the kids to know what the word autism means because I feel like there's a fear and my, my fear in, in doing my research and looking at numbers of bullying as they get to middle school just terrified me. And I'm like, how can I prevent that? 
and you have to start it young and you have they have to know what that word means and so I asked her and so she had to go to the principal they had to go to the district we got approval um I just I came in and we we I read a story uh, I think it was um the wings of Epo I think I read um which Epo is hope spelled backwards wow um, and there's several there's uh, I'll I'll send you some some other books. Um, there's a, one about a zebra. Um, there's there's a few. So um, so we did that, and then we talked about what autism is and how you know sometimes sounds for somebody with autism might be too intense. Like if the fire alarm goes off, that might not just be really loud, but it might actually hurt their ears. And and the kids were adorable, and I was like, you know what what could you guys do to be a good friend of somebody with autism? And the kids had, you know, they were like, if the fire alarm goes off, we can find some headphones and give it to them. Like, you know, they came up with ideas of how to be a good friend. And then we just did sensory tables just for fun so they could play and learn about the senses. We made it, you know, definitely educational. Like they, they filled little eggs with sand and beans and, um, I don't even remember what else we did. And this was in kindergarten, kindergarten that you did this? That was in kindergarten, yeah. So that, And again, we, I never said, hey, Luca has autism. We just talked about what the word means, what it might look like, how you could be a good friend to somebody with autism. Gosh, Wendy, you um, are such a special mom. You are such a good mom. I am just so <laughs> impressed. I mean, you're like planting the seeds with all these little kids to raise awareness so that when yeah. they grow up and they are middle schoolers, it's not new and they don't bully him. You know, we talk about consistency yeah. in school for my son because we don't know what, what we're going to do with him because um, he's like twice exceptional. And the idea that he's around all the same kids so that they know him and he's not like ostracized or whatever. But what about yeah. like what about the like other side of autism? I know there's like talk about curing autism and autism speaks is all about like finding a cure or whatever. Do you encounter that? Because I feel like that was a really prevalent thing that when when my son was diagnosed, I was struggling like I there's like a it's almost like there's two camps. Some people think autism is a disease and they want to cure it. And some people think it's um like a different ability or a disorder or a handicap like how would you describe it I mean I went I you know I, I spent some time with Taka talk about autism, curing autism all that um, and it, they had some great info but I got to a point where I was like now I'm there's this like hope within me that I can change him and fix him and so every IEP meeting or every evaluation we had I was disappointed that he hadn't tested off the autism spectrum and I'm like this is not right like he he is who he is he's not this is just who he is and I can't spend my energy and my time a trying to fix him solve it or you know do any of those things because I adore who he is I just think he's so amazing so I I found some other charities who are doing some amazing things in terms of more about just embracing who they are and finding a path for them. Um, I work, or I'm, I'm on the board of a, a nonprofit called Autism Tree down here in San Diego. They, uh, and they do a neuroscience conference every year that is fascinating, so fascinating. Just talking about um, the ins and outs of autism, but they always have an adult panel. And this one year, they asked each of them, hey, if we could give you a pill right now that would 
you know, for lack of a better word, cure your autism or take it away, would you take it? And these are people, you know, they run the gamut of the spectrum, you know, one who's a, a doctor, you know, and some who are still trying to find a job, but all of them emphatically said, no way, it is absolutely part of who I am, I would never take that pill. And so my goal and our goal with the company really is to shift the way people see it and to not see it as uh, disability, but to see it as this amazing ability. And I, I met with a, a professor in, at Stanford who runs this program called the Neurodiversity Program at Stanford, where they're now specifically attracting kids to Stanford who have unique um, abilities. So not just autism, but maybe ADHD or, or different things that they have, but they have a hyper-focus in one specific area. And so once they get to Stanford, they, they test them to see what areas they are, like, hyper-focused in. And rather than saying, okay, let's work on all these other areas, you know, let's improve their social skills, let's improve all these other things, they throw them in to that area of study, like everything. They're going to follow that line of study because what they're finding is when they do that, when they go with these kids' interests, these kids open up and they make friends and they they're, they can be social and then they can shift them into a job. And this, this neurodiversity program that this professor has created because he has a son with autism, um, he now also does uh, training with different businesses to bring on people who have autism because a lot of paid companies are finding that these employees are invaluable. So Google does a, uh, they shifted the way that they hire so that they can target more people with autism because people with autism are failing in one-on-one -on -one interviews. So they've shifted uh, SAP, a, a lot of big companies because it's this unique pool of talent that they were missing out on. Absolutely. I used to work at one of the uh, FANG companies, we'll just say, and I would fly uh -huh. to Silicon Valley once a week and was on campus. And I could identify many people who worked there that, that were on the spectrum that I could just definitely would think, but totally gifted and amazing, but, you know, lacking in social cues and uh, things like that. So is that Stanford program just for college? It's for college. They also do have work programs where they... Um, help transition these kids into jobs he's hoping to to take it across the country a lot of other colleges are, are kind of are, are adapting as well and and trying to mimic that but i i have his info i'm like look is gonna go to stanford <laughs> so <laughs> that's amazing my plan right um, um but i just i love that i mean it and just to see because these kids the, the cool thing about these kids is because they see things differently they're able to solve problems that a lot of us can't because they go about it differently. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, and it's, there's some, there's beauty to their lack of social consciousness because they don't give a shit about what you think or if they're interacting correctly. I mean, we'll work with them and, and, and they kind of find a way, especially, you know, the kids like you're like you have and I have because they're, they're very intelligent and they, they can be vocal and, and kind of fit in somewhat into a, a mainstream, but they're going to be a little off and a little weird. And, and so embracing that and just saying it's really kind of awesome because they, that part of their brain that doesn't care about social interaction, they're learning 
amazing things now, and they're, they're it's it's part of what we need to continue to evolve as a society. So, I'm of the camp of it's not to be cured; it's to be embraced and and revered because they just think that they're they have such incredible minds. I love that. I love that so much. And I am also, so my son is, you know, earmarked for mainstream and it's a, it's a struggle, right? Like I don't want him to be who he's not. I don't want him to turn into a social butterfly. I just want him to be able to like function in the baseline of a group if he needs to be, you know, like there are some basics that have to be mastered, but I'm totally Mm -hmm. cool if he's an introvert and in his own world and discovering and inventing and making up worlds that he does all the time. And I think I think yeah. these brains are so extraordinary and I think our society needs to shift to accommodate them to let their gifts out because great things happen when they do. So I'm so happy about the Stanford program. I'm so happy that you are being such a force in your community and I just love it so much. And um, if someone wants to get involved uh, with you, your company is called IamLove.org. Is that the website? Uh, yeah, it's IamLove.org. Okay. If you and, do I am love, I think you'll go to a dating site. So. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool too, but a, a, little, a little, not, not quite. Um, both different. And you have really adorable trucker hats. Every time I go on your site, I actually stop because I'm not sure which color that I want to get. Um, <laughs> do you want to do a promo, uh, discount code for anybody who wants to be involved and get a hat off the site? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's, do no sex, <laughs> uh, all caps, no sex, and uh, you can get 15% off. I'll put that in. Amazing. Today. Yeah. So everything has love written in reverse so that the message is meant for you and not for anybody else. And it's just our little way of, of shifting perspective, of reminding you to love who you are, no matter what you're going through or no matter what what's going on in your brain, because it's all good stuff. And you know what? That's a philosophy for neurotypical brains too, right? Love yeah. yourself yeah. and yeah. get society to get on board. I love it. Well, Wendy, thank you so much. Yeah. This has been so amazing. You're such a light for yeah. the autism community. I love everything that you're doing and I hope everybody checks out your website and does their best to be a good friend to the one out of 60 kids who has autism. Yes. Thank you so much. And I love what you're doing. So thanks for sharing all the cool stories. It's it's great. Awesome. All right. Have a great one. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, you too. Bye. Bye. 